All right, so if you would, um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 this morning, verses 28 through 30. And before we get there, I just want to kind of process through some things. Um, This morning as I got in the car, I just prayed and asked the Lord, this is not what I usually do, and so he knows that right now in this moment, you can't probably tell, but my anxiety is through the roof. Um, and, and that's where this message really is coming from. Um, so as I got in the car, I said, Lord, just speak to me this morning. As I turned on uh, the radio, uh, I heard Psalm 42 from Shane and Shane. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of the Lord under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed? Within me. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And as we were worshiping through the different songs this morning, um, man, God has just been able to put my soul at ease this morning. Um, this month has been a devastating month for our country. As we watch, Countless traumatic, senseless, and horrifying acts happen. Preparing for this week has been difficult. I've reflected on a lot of things. Tomorrow, as a nation, we celebrate Memorial Day, a holiday to remember and honor those who have given their lives for our freedoms as individuals and as a nation. This month is also a month in which we acknowledge and seek to provide awareness for those suffering through and with mental health conditions. That hits home for me. I've shared before how I've struggled with anxiety and depression. And there are many others who do as well. And so taking this all in to the best of my ability, I've asked myself, what do I share? Where do we go this morning? Meditating on some things have come to preaching involves at least two responsibilities. The first is to explain the Bible and relate it to life. The second is to take life and explain it in light of Scripture. And that's my goal this morning. I have to be honest about a few things before we get into Matthew 11 and why we're going into Matthew 11. 
Like you have experienced a wide variety of emotions this month. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we've been experiencing a lot of things, a wide variety of emotions for a while now. A year, a two. Times of shock and disbelief. Times of horror and anger. Times of outrage. Times of stress. Times of anxiety, worry, and sadness. And yes, even through all that, there have been times of joy and laughter. And so for me, I have to come and remind myself that it's normal, it's natural, and it's necessary to allow our emotions to come out. But we also have to look at this from a biblical standpoint. And so I recall to myself this morning the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And oftentimes that's difficult for me because I don't always understand and know what people are feeling and how those experiences impact them. And so as we look to Scripture, we're oftentimes encouraged, but a lot of times we're left questioning. But we have to remember the point of it all is to look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. The second thing that I'm reminded of this morning is I'm the last person to seek advice on anything that we would consider political. But I will say that it's an enormous amount of wisdom is required. Wisdom that I do not have. But I know that as a church at large, we can be praying accordingly for our leaders. Biblically, I do know that we should avoid responding out of anger and rage if possible. I'm reminded of Romans 12 and 13 in which we're encouraged by Paul again to conduct ourselves in humility, love, and peace always, seeking the well-being of those around us in our family, friends, communities, and country, according to how God has called us to live. I may not have the answers for the world, but I know how God has called me to live, and that can impact those around me immediately. And my last thought as I was preparing for this was, My purpose and what I should be focused on is drawing my attention back to God. Allowing Him to speak through His Word, His truth. And so with that, this morning as we look to go into Matthew chapter 11, let's pray. Father, Lord, thank You. Lord, that when we do not have answers, You do. Father, thank You that You care for us so deeply. Fathers, as individuals, as families, as communities, as a nation, Lord, as a world. Father, your your word tells us that over and over. And so this morning as we come, Father, and look into Matthew, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts here this morning. Help us to see you through it all. 
It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 28 through 30. It reads as follows. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. With all that goes on in our lives on a day-to-day basis, along with everything that happens around the world, it's no wonder that we come often tired, weary, burdened. It's pretty obvious that we live in a broken world. We see this increasingly as each day goes by. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to feel broken. It's okay to feel burdened. But one thing that I've come to realize is that I have to quickly remind myself that this isn't a surface level tired. This is a tiredness that goes a lot deeper. It's a soul weariness. We all experience it. We come in need of rest we cannot give ourselves, a rest that the world cannot give us. Longing for a moment of reprieve from everything happening around us. And it seems that no matter what we try in our own power, it does not help. And so we come with all these things. We can come to him as we are, without any pretense, without anything in our hands to offer or need. Asking him to convert our longing into reality, to transform our sorrow into joy, remove the guilt of sin by his blood, and give new life to those barely hanging on. Our burdens are not simple. They're always often very complex. And so the remedy is not easy. A trip to McDonald's for a Happy Meal sufficed when I lost a toy and I needed happiness. But now that I, that I am almost 40, it takes a lot more to deal with a broken heart or the loss of a loved one. But a simple promise can relieve a complex burden, provided we believe that the power behind the promise is complex and strong enough to relieve our heaviness. And so Jesus offers himself to the real us, not a future version of us, not some cleaned up image of ourselves, but just plain old us. And that's the beauty of this promise that we'll see today. And so in these three verses we're going to be looking at today, they're perfect just for this time. They're perfect because it shows us the kind of heart that Jesus has for us. Charles Spurgeon once pointed out that in all the Gospels, it's the only place that Jesus himself speaks of what his own heart is like. Gentle and lowly. It is not harsh. It is not reactionary. It's not easily put out or frustrated. He is not ready to strike you down. In fact, he is the most understanding person in the world. 
In reading a book entitled Gentle and Lowly, the author Dane Ortland says, the posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger but open arms. And so our Savior, gentle and lowly, gentle enough for the worst of us and lowly enough for the humblest of us. We can't be too needy for Jesus. Neither is He put off by our neediness. And so I just, I want us to listen to who Jesus is, what His heart is for us. And the first thing that we'll find when we listen is the invitation to Jesus. And the beautiful thing about this passage, and even as I present to you different points this morning, is the use of very small words. And so in my point, I said the invitation to Jesus is not an invitation from Jesus, although it is from Jesus in this, in this instance. Verse 28 tells us, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so Jesus tells us to come to him. There's no need to complicate it any further. Oftentimes we subconsciously add to what Jesus is telling us. It's how the world works. We're always trying to read between the lines. We always try to see what the real meaning is. But Jesus this morning simply says, come to me. The simplicity of his invitation is both striking and refreshing. We're not given ten ways to relieve your weariness, which we're so drawn to. Unique to anyone else in human history, Jesus simply offers himself as a universal solution to all that burdens us. His simple invitation is very audacious. Come to me. The only way that this isn't simply crazy is if Jesus is who he claims to be. The eternal word made flesh, our creator and our savior. His simple invitation implies a power behind it more than sufficient to lift what weighs us down. And so what does it mean to come to Jesus? When we read it in the context of the invitation, which is in chapter 11, right before chapter 12, his meaning becomes very clear. At the end, right before this, in chapter 11, we see his rebuke of the cities. In the beginning of chapter 12, sorry, is his rebuke of the religious leaders that saw firsthand his miraculous works, so clearly demonstrating who he was, and still they refused to believe in him. And it's in between those two instances we know that Jesus says, come to me. He meant believe in who I claim to be and therefore what I am able to do for you. In this verse, the word come isn't only a command, it's also an exclamation. And so Jesus is saying something like, hey guys, I'm here. Look at me. In the midst of everything that is happening all around you, look at me. He's waving his arms, trying to catch our attention. We're running around everywhere, going from one place to another, trying to make everything work and and make everything make sense. But the one thing we should notice, we're not noticing, 
And that's our gentle and lowly Savior, sitting right before our eyes, offering everything we're looking for and longing for. The truth is, Jesus isn't hard to find. He's made himself available. And he wants our attention because who he is and what he has done is the thing we need most. And so here's where our burdened souls are tested. The question now becomes, will we believe him? Will we trust him? We want to rest our souls on the knowledge of how and when our burdensome problems will be addressed. But Jesus does not provide those details. He simply promises us that they will be addressed. And Jesus does not want our souls resting on how and when as if we are wise enough to understand and determine them. Rather, he wants our souls resting on the surety that he will keep his promise to us in the best way at the best time. Come to me, he says. Cast your anxieties on me, for I care for you. Trust in me with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, he says. And you will find rest for your souls. You see, our souls only find rest and hope. That's what we're frantically looking for whenever our souls are burdened and restless, is hope. And that's the one thing that's marketed at us in everything that we find around us, is hope. But there are false hopes for soul rest, providing only temporary distraction from or briefly masking the effects of our burdened souls. They don't truly lighten our loads. No, our burdened souls only find rest in one place. Listen to what David says in Psalm 62. He says, yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Jesus knows and understands that he only is our salvation, our fortress, our mighty rock, and our refuge. He is the one answer to every question, concern, fear, and need that we may have. And so he simply and comprehensively offers us himself. Our hope is from Him. Only in Him will we find rest for our souls. And so come is a present tense command here as well. Jesus isn't asking us to make an appointment at a later date. He's not telling us to come back tomorrow or the next day. The invitation is available today. Come today. Rest is here now. Yet even still, we find a way to complicate this, don't we? We imagine some hard conditions, some preliminary work or qualifications, prerequisites that we have to meet. But Jesus asks us only to come as we are with all that we are. Come to me all. Here's another word that we 
tend to gloss over. Jesus uses a word here big enough to include every sinner in the world, every person who suffers in the world, a word so big and so inclusive that everyone who has ever lived fits inside of the all. Come to me, all who are weary. The gospel Jesus brings is a worldwide invitation. It has no cultural limits, no national boundaries, or even sin limits. There are only two qualifications. All who, who labor and are heavy laden. Other translations read, all who are weary and heavy laden. If you're working yourself to death trying to fix your life, or if your life is weighed down by something outside of your control, Jesus calls you to himself. It's amazing. Here is Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the one who upholds the universe by the power of his word, offering himself to us. The worn out, the pressed down, the weary, the burdened, the needy. He comes for the people who can't figure out life and don't know what else to do or where else to go. And in case you were wondering, that's all of us. That's you, that's me. If you are exhausted from working only to fail, from obeying only to sin again, you are invited to Jesus. If you feel a heaviness on your heart that you want to be free of, sin or sorrow or anxiety or remorse or memories of, or uncertainties, you are invited to Jesus. The qualifications you need are weariness and weightiness. Your need is not a problem for Jesus. In fact, he is inviting you so, you can, so he can unburden you. Jesus delights in caring for us. And so you can come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus and entrust yourself into his care, he gives you something no one else can. Look at verse 28 again. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Jesus says something here that only God can say. In fact, God did say it throughout all of Scripture. The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament reads in chapter 31, verse 25, he says, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint." God didn't just say something like that one time. He said it multiple times. And here's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 11. He's saying that he is the God of Jeremiah, the God of the Old Testament. He is the God who promised rest and now has come to earth to accomplish the plan of salvation and give it in fullness to his people. And so this entire passage rests on who Jesus is, not us. He's the one making promises and inviting us to participate. And so when you can't find rest anywhere else, here's Jesus, your Savior, saying, come to me. When all else fails, he never will. And so Jesus never leaves us in the same place he finds us. He invites us to come, and as he does, he takes us on a journey with him, which is our second point. The pathway of Jesus. Verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
So the question now becomes, if he invites us to rest, why does he tell us to put on his yoke? A yoke is placed on a beast of burden in order to do work. Is Jesus offering us rest or is he offering us work? And so that is precisely the question I believe Jesus wants us to ask. What work must we do for him that supposedly will give us rest? That is precisely the reason why we want rest. Jesus answers this in several different occasions. In John 6, he writes, he says this, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. John 15, 4, he, he tells us to abide in him like a branch and a vine. Believe and abide. That really is all the work God requires of us. Faith, believing and abiding is resting on the hopeful promise of God. That is the yoke Jesus calls us to put on. So what's happening here really is a yoke exchange. In the cross, Jesus takes our inconceivably and unbearably heavy yoke of sins, condemnation, and penalty and offers us in exchange the easy yoke and light burden of simply trusting in Him. He does all the work and gives us the rest. And His work not only fully addresses our sin problem, but also provides the supply of every other need we will ever have. And all we are required to do is trust and obey and abide. And if that wasn't enough, in becoming human and dwelling among us, Jesus makes it possible for us to learn from Him how to live by faith. The author of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Believe, abide, and follow in his footsteps. That's the light yoke Jesus calls us to put on. It is the only yoke in existence that gives us rest for our souls. And so we must notice how he calls it his there's another small word to pay attention to. He tells us, take my yoke upon you. It's not a yoke. It's not the law's yoke. It's not some other person's yoke. His yoke. He tells us to take my yoke upon you. The yoke of Jesus is vastly different from every other yoke. And he tells us in verse 30 that his yoke is easy. It's light. And we have to understand something straight away here. There is no such thing as a yokeless life. It's a matter of what we're yoked to. Coming to Jesus is not a yokeless life. When we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus as we are, but He changes us into who He is. The yoke we receive from Him is not like the yoke of the Pharisees who demand strict obedience to man-made laws. It's not the yoke of the world that demands constant change and evolution of views or else. Here's two things that we have to understand about the yoke of Jesus. The first is that His yoke comes along with His teaching. He tells us in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and what? 
Learn from me. To have his yoke means you will be, you will be working. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 28 where he tells us the Great Commission. Go therefore. Right? And part of that is teaching them all that what I have taught you. We're designed this way. As I was studying for today, I came across this statement. It says, the cure for a heavy burden is not to have no burden, but a light burden, the right burden. Jesus knows the right burden. He offers rest not by inviting us to do nothing, but is leading us to the right activities. And so Jesus calls us to work. He'll call us to do hard things for him, but it isn't working with Christ even in suffering better by far, than living without Him. The second thing about His yoke is that His yoke isn't heavy because of who He is. For I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart. Here's what separates Jesus from everyone else. Here's what makes His yoke different from all the others. He is gentle and lowly. The word gentle means free from harshness, sternness, or violence. We must understand that our Savior, Jesus, is not out to get us. His most foundational disposition is to save you. Not to strike you, but to comfort you. When we go the wrong way, He gently redirects. He gently leads us back to himself, back to the right path, to learn afresh from him, to see him again for who he is, and to fall in love with him all over again through how he loves us. He's also lowly. He is not lofty or grand. He does not esteem himself. This is not a virtue that we value in today's culture. Everyone wants to be first. We all look to be favored and celebrated, but we see that at his deepest core, Jesus is a servant. We've been working through the Gospel of John, and we've been noticing this over the last few weeks. That in Jesus' last words to his disciples, he's calling them to serve. He came to serve, and not to be served, because that's who he is at heart. His heart is not limited to what we deserve. It rejoices to serve the unworthy, the guilty, the sinful, the wayward, his children. And so we are made to be with God. So when we come to Jesus and take his yoke upon us, what we find is the kind of life we long to live. He becomes our Savior. He joins us together and he begins to use us for his glory. He carries the load, but he deploys us in mission. He sends us out to the field ripe for harvest to do His work in the world. He's patient. He's tender. He's open. He's accommodating. He's understanding. When we stumble, He picks us up. When we can't go on, He carries us. When we doubt Him, He proves Himself. When we sin, He's already paid the penalty. Here's the beautiful thing that we only see if we stop long enough to take in what Jesus is inviting us to. 
Jesus is willing to be yoked to us. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't stop to think about it. He doesn't reject us. Even more, He's happy to do it. He longs to be so. Nothing in Him shies away from us. No sin is too great. No weakness too much. No failure too excessive. He comes down to our low place and takes us to His place. He's gentle. He knows our frame. He knows because He's been in the weakness of flesh. But He never sinned. And so His strength is far greater than ours. He knows the path and He will teach us. Jesus entered in. The gentle and lowly Jesus is our Savior. He offers His yoke to teach us His ways and He's making a promise, which is our third point, which is the promise from Jesus. In verse 29 and verse 30, He says, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What? And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have to stop and think for a second that this is the second time rest is mentioned within the three verses that we're looking at. The first rest was an immediate rest. It was a relief, a break. The second rest that we find here is afforded to someone after a long journey. It's a reviving of the soul. It's a reason why we take vacations. It's a reprieve from the daily grind. It's not just a physical rest. Although there is a yoke involved, there is learning involved, neither is easy. It demands something of us. Jesus doesn't just offer rest for our bodies. What he offers is rest for our souls. He doesn't want us to simply be relieved. It's not just a pat on the back or a quick sip of water and back out into the game. It's a revival of the soul. Jesus is caring for much deeper than we can imagine and oftentimes much deeper than we even ask for. We may prefer a physical rest, We may desire a vacation or two or three. We may want a break from the constant workflow, the nagging child, the endless chores. And I don't know about you that even though I fall asleep, I wake up tired. No matter how early in the evening I may decide to turn in, when I wake up in the morning, I'm ready to go back to bed again. That's not physical tiredness. That's our souls anguishing for care. A care that only Jesus can alleviate. My soul needs rest. Our souls need rest. There are memories in my past that I don't want to think about, but from time to time they rise to the surface, reminding me that I'm not good. 
There are things I said or things I didn't say but should have. There are regrets that won't fade away. There are wounds that time won't heal. You know what I'm talking about because we all face it. We all have them. And so what does Jesus have for us during all of that? Rest. It's a rest at the deepest possible level. It's a soul rest. Jesus says it doesn't have to be... Jesus says it doesn't have to be our future. He's preparing a place for us in our Father's house. We saw this a couple weeks ago, if not last week. Maybe we can't turn off the anxiety or any of any of another certain day, but Jesus says, I'm ready out there ahead of you. I know how this will end, and no matter what comes. No one will snatch you from my hands. I've prepared a place for you. What we need is eternal rest, a rest that won't run out in the near future. We need a peace of heart, a peace that only God can give us. We need a clear conscience. We need the removal of guilt. We need shame to disappear. And Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, offers it all for us. His salvation is total and complete right now for us. And so looking forward to Christ's cross, we return back to Jeremiah 31, verse 34. But the prophet tells us this of God as he thinks about his people. He says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jesus' yoke is easy. There's a kindness in this. His yoke is a type of non-yoke in a way. It's not burdensome. He offers us to come under him, to be shepherded by him, to follow him. Who doesn't need kindness? His kindness is seen most clearly in the cross. We were weighed down by the burden of sin. We could never obey God perfectly. In fact, we've ruined our shot at perfection before we even had the capacity to understand what we did. So what then is our hope? And the most Sunday school answer I can give, it's Jesus. Simply Jesus. He came to be our substitute. When Jesus lived on earth, he obeyed God perfectly. He went to the cross to take God's curse for sin. He did that for you and for me. If Christ's cross wasn't at the center of history, there could be no offer of rest. But he could offer us then and he can offer rest now because the wrath of God we're owed for our sin has been fully satisfied in the cross of Jesus Christ. He has paid it all. 
by coming to Him, by accepting Jesus, you are free from the penalty for your sin. All that you deserve was given to Him on the cross so that all that Jesus deserved is given to you. He had eternal rest, and so He graciously gives it to you and to me by simply heeding His invitation to come to me. You can have peace. Even if all the world stands against you, you can lay down at night and sleep well because God is for you. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's why Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's not saying life won't be hard. There is still a cross to be carried. There will be trials. Jesus promises that. We have battles to fight and hardships to bear and sufferings to endure. Jesus is not discounting that. What he is saying is that the comforts of the gospel outweigh them all. Jesus offers rest we never thought possible. When we come to him, we come to the answer of our life's pursuit. It's him. The most loving, accessible, approachable, kind, gentle, lowly person in the universe. It is He, our Savior, our Lord, our rest. And so, Jesus' great invitation for us to come to Him, exchange yokes, and find rest is not intended for us to do so in isolation. By virtue of a yoke, He's with us. But he also intended us to come to him in community, to come together. We all bear burdens and become weary in different ways, different reasons, and often at different times. When we are weary, we are easily discouraged and can be given to cynical unbelief. It's in those moments we are often not the best preachers of our own souls. I surely am not. We need others to speak truth to us and help us believe in Jesus. And so if you are weary, for whatever reason, however complex, Jesus invites you to come. Come, take his light yoke of believing in him, abiding in him, trusting in him. And if you find that difficult, don't come alone. There are others around you are facing the same who can help and so believe abide and follow Jesus' example you will find rest for your soul all he's asking is for us to come let us take his yoke upon us for he's gentle and lowly at heart and so the final question that I have for you all this morning is will you come Let's pray. Father, thank you that you care for our souls. Father, not just our physical bodies, Father, but for our soul. Father, thank you that you, Lord, are able to provide that. Lord, so often I know for myself I become frustrated, Lord, after trying every other thing around me, Lord, 
when simply all I need to do is come to you. To trust, to abide, to believe, Father, that you are more than capable to help me in those times of need. Father, you're more than capable to revive my soul. And so this morning, Father, we come weary and burdened. We ask, Lord, that you will give us rest. Father, draw us close to you, Lord, and help us to remain there. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.